0: What ho folks! I'm Lillian Crawford, a freelance film critic and historian focusing on women and post-war British cinema. Welcome to the second season of the Listen to Lillian podcast, part of an ongoing blog I've recently set up on Substack to develop my research on my own terms. Simply go to listentolillian.substack.com to subscribe for a bumper crop of reviews, essays and feature articles. Each episode I invite my guests to select a British film to discuss, from the silent era to recent releases. All I ask is they pick a film they think is particularly interesting in its representation of female characters or its approach to queer subject matter. For this episode, I've invited my friend Ethan Lyon, a film scholar specializing in the horror genre, to join me for a chat. The film he's chosen for us to discuss is Terence Fisher's 1958 adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. This was the first film in the series of Hammer Horrors, introducing British audiences to the frightening coupling of Christopher Lee, who plays Count Dracula, and Peter Cushing as Dr. Van Helsing. Before I let Ethan introduce himself, here's the original trailer to give you a taste for the blood to come. This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting.
1: You must help me. You
0: must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise.
1: Please try and understand.
0: This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Those who come to end his reign of terror stay
1: to become his victims. Castle Dracula is summoned here in Klausenburg. Will you tell me how I get there? You ordered a meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This
0: is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil.
1: Hi Ethan, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Lillian. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, uh, but you're very welcome. It's a it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Just uh, going through life as usual.
1: <laughs> yes, um, th- this is this is something that w- w- that I am also experiencing in a number of ways, uh, both the textual and subtextual implications of that sentence. So I I quite understand. Yes. Yes. Very busy. Very very busy. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm grateful to have so many lovely and willing friends who um, are giving me films to watch. Um, and, yes. And then, well, yes. And then, you know, rather than sort of the unstructured babbling of awkward conversation via Zoom, we can actually have <laughs> a, a shared well, topic yes, to to discuss. Well, um, so this is you've you've chosen uh terence fisher's dracula from 1958 have, um which you know true to form um i mean because obviously i know you but uh, for people who don't do you want to just talk a bit about yourself and your re- research
1: interests yes of course so um as lillian has said me choosing uh hammer dracula is true to form so my research largely revolves around horror but also the subject of disability uh, my I'm very interested in the intersections between and how horror cinema somehow can uh, provide very interesting readings and understandings, not only of uh, representations of difference and disability, but also in some cases what it means to be disabled, as a, which is a very important subject to me being uh, autistic. And indeed my thesis is about, uh, can we provide autistic readings to um, British and American Gothic horror? which uh this film neatly falls smack bang in the middle of. But this this obviously, uh there's obviously uh Lillian and I are both huge film nuts, uh especially for older British films. But that's not how we met. We met like uh Tia uh through quizzing. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> indeed. We met through the meant through he...
0: Ethan giving me a frightening run for my money, which hadn't happened before. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh, I was, God, I was used yes, to being the, the the most knowledgeable film kid on the block, and then suddenly he shows up and abs- and destroys
1: everything. Yes, was, <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I think what was very nice about that was it it, it developed from a sort of a, a fair to say a rivalry, but a friendly rivalry into yes. a genuine <laughs> friendship. Absolutely. Genuine friendship. And we found that no matter how much we like to to bicker at each other, which we do, we have a number of things in common film wise. Uh, One, obviously, being our love of British cinema, especially Paul Pressburger, uh, who I think is actually quite an interesting uh, side note to Fisher. But I think that's for a different day. Uh, so yes I chose (laughs) you've intrigued me you're gonna have to (laughs) I will I will go into that I will go into that (laughs) don't worry so I've chosen the Hammer Dracula for a number of reasons and I think it's first important to uh, talk about how I think uh, I can legitimately claim that the Hammer Dracula is possibly England's most important horror film not the best but the most important Uh, and there are a couple of reasons for this, one very obviously being the presence of Dracula himself, here played by Christopher Lee, this was arguably his breakout role, uh, and he went on to, uh, uh, as we all know, a hundreds and hundreds of films, mostly horror, uh, a large number directed by ha- uh, from the Hammer studio, also starring Peter Cushing, who here plays uh, a very wonderful Van Helsing. Uh, but it's also important because it brings to the fore a very specific form of English horror cinema that would become the mainstay of uh, arguably UK imports along uh, uh, exports rather along with Bond for the next twenty or so years. Which I think, as uh, Christopher Frayling quite accurately puts, it's very much about the, the sexuality, uh, a large amount of blood, colour, uh, a very sort of a Victorian sensuality and sexuality, a, a very Complex attitudes towards women. Uh, by complex, I don't mean they're sort of very pro women. I mean they're quite. They seem uh, that they, they they come at a very interesting time in British history, uh, and have. But I often look backwards to a sort of a, a Victorian morality. There's a number of very interesting elements going on with Dracula. I also happen to adore it as a film. I think it is significantly a better a film than the uh, previous Hammer horror, which is the first from the company, which was The Curse of Frankenstein, which was, for reference, Hammer, for a long time, made comedies and a couple of war dramas and thrillers, which Terence Fisher was originally contracted to do. He made a number of thrillers with them. But it was in the late 50s when Jimmy Sangster, the writer, and Anthony Nelson Keynes, the producer. Uh, chanced upon the fact that they could make a lot of money out of very gory horror, fl- horror flicks, basically. The first being their uh, Curse of Frankenstein, which was a huge success but a huge critical controversy. And then they solidified it with Dracula. Um, and that's why I chose it, because I feel it encapsulates, it, it, it is very much Britain's calling card to the rest of the world in terms of vivid horror Yeah. and it's something that you can see later in the films of the uh, uh the directors like george romero i would say somebody like joe dante but also the italians uh, were very heavily influenced by uh, hammer's productions yeah. so those are the reasons largely why i chose uh, dracula yeah i mean would it be fair to say that this is sort of the first
0: feature-length horror narrative um because previously where horror has existed in british film And television, it's in a sort of anthology format. So I'm thinking in particular, of course, of um, Ealing's Dead of Night in 1945, um, which comes out as the sort of um, theatre of blood tradition, which Mm. exists before, Mm. and then we get the, the,
1: the film a bit later on. Um, that's a very interesting uh, note you've made there and I think it does speak to the fact that for British for British horror cinema it's kind of a lost continent for a good 20 or 30 years hmm. because there are... Well, Universal,
0: what, of, Universal's dominated for horror well, production right, yes, up to this
1: precisely, point Precisely, and I think that's another very uh, accurate point that you make, but in the 30s obviously um, Universal in the 40s it's RKO Yeah There are British horror films stretching back into the silent era. However, there's a number of problems. One, a number of them are lost because the -hmm. the, the British film industry was notorious at scrapping a lot of its filmography. A lot of those films were also based on sort of old dark house comedies. Uh, The Ghost Train, for example, which was written by uh, famously one of the members of Dad's Army, uh, is is an excellent example of this. There are the films of Todd Slaughter, who is a figure in himself who, are, if you are interested in deeply, deeply, deeply hammy acting, <laughs> uh, lip smackingly ba- uh, uh, hammy acting, not camp, yeah. but hammy, I would highly recommend looking at things like his version of *A uh, Sweetie Todd yeah. or The Face in the Window. But there is no specific tradition that comes about until Hammer. Yeah. And largely that's to do with the censorship, which was enforced by the Mm. British, films like Islands of Lost Souls, Frankenstein, were very heavily censored and slapped with hate um, uh, restrictions, which was exclusively for horror cinema. There were only a few British films which actually got that, one of which being uh, The Ghoul, which stars Boris Karloff, who came home to make a a, a feature film, and The Dark Eyes of London, which stars Bela Lugosi, And it's actually not half bad, but there's a very, very limited amount of Mm. horror cinema uh, but Dracula, Curse of Frankenstein, and what comes afterwards is really the first avalanche yep. of British hover to come about, and so that's why I find it really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that market, the competition from America now has sort of waned. Certainly in terms of quality. I mean, mm. the fifties mm. is the era of William <laughs> Castle and gimmicks, and you know the sort of yes. um, the sort of yes, thing that true. Joe Dante's matinee so brilliantly. Um, satirises. Oh, and, and and also, like I suppose that's sort of encapsulated in Lugosi's work with Shirley Wood in things like Plan 9 from Outer Space, the last yes, film that yes, Lugosi the, said. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's very interesting in itself because it brings us onto a subject which I wanted to talk about a little bit, which I think is a nice lead-in to talking about Dracula, which is that arguably the figure of the vampire by the mid-50s, Riley meets the vampire et al., these sort of very cheesy, low-budget comedies, which have vampires, but it's it's mostly played for laughs and to sort of yeah. a very sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink sort of sensibility. And it's fair to say that the vampire isn't very scary by the fifties. Um, no. They're not, and they're, what the, the the eroticism, which is I think there in the um, the the Todd Browning Dracula and is there in a very interesting queer sense in uh, Daughter of Dracula, largely is absent from the later Dracula films, uh, Mm. Son of Dracula et al. What uh, Christopher Lee and Hammer do, I think it's fair to say, is they make the, the vampire sexy again. Whether we find it today erotically appealing is a different matter, but there's no doubt that the film was intended to be Sensational, in yes. every sense of the word. And that, I think, is something which is very interesting to discuss and think about in relation to both Hammer, well, Hammer, but especially this Dracula.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that sexuality and the sort of sensual nature of the film, because obviously, 58, uh, this this film's 1958, Hammer, as you say, Curse of Frankenstein in 57, yeah. this is around the time when e Studios has sort of fizzled out um, mm. because they are associated with a certain antiquated view of britain and of um human interest. if the if evening films are anything they're not sort of on oh, the no, nose they're, they're quite very, twee um and and, they, and in the late, late 50s like that, yeah, yeah the late 50s that sort of the, things like the titfield fund of for example yes, sort of represents the one i was
1: thinking the sort the, so,
0: yeah. the sorts of films that People after the war enjoyed, mm. but into the 50s, the, particularly the new generation of, of people moving into the sexual revolution of the of the 60s and 70s, mm. had la- less, to some extent, interest in. So I think it's interesting that Hammer comes in British cinema almost in parallel with the birth of the Carry On series, which, you know, you said that Hammer's a big cultural export. Carry On isn't. Mm. Carry On is sort of specifically... No. No, British, I, yes, um, yes, but it's that so. sort of sex farce um, mm. type, low budget, quite schlocky mm. films that mm. people just seem mm. to, and still have great nostalgia for because mm. they are absolutely. so specific to this oh, period, um, and and going, they're racy think... and they're and actually oh, and to some absolutely. extent, these films go further than some modern cinema feels capable of, oh, of doing completely. so
1: completely oh completely i think you bring up budget and that's very interesting in terms of hammer as well because hammer films were notoriously extremely low budget they had very little in the way of uh, sets a lot of them you will see recycled in other films uh, to the point where eventually it becomes a a, a a, uh, a money, a money stretching trick to have a fire at the end of every Hammer film because it just makes the budget a little bit more expensive. But you're right to bring up Carry On, and I think what's interesting is that how uh, Dracula, especially the Hammer Dracula, taps into something I think a little bit more uh, universal, which is uh, forgive the pun. Uh, which is uh, sort of the 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 legacy of the British Gothic and especially yeah. the English Gothic, and I'd like to stress that because this, because both uh, Dracula and Curse of Frankenstein, are obviously based on very classically English texts, yeah. uh, be, uh, which and obviously the uh, the version of uh, of Dracula that you and I saw was very different to the book uh, that it bears almost yes. only a. Yes, this, this is some,
0: that, that that's something that I really wanted to stress is that you know this yes. is this is. A reinvention of the Gothic, which we oh, see oh, in, completely. you know, Hammer creates its own version of Gothic, which to some extent oh, is the version of Gothic that you or I would actually associate with, oh, it because yes, it's absolutely. what we would have grown up watching on um, oh, in films. But this is nothing like Bram Stoker's book. Oh, <laughs> um, if if anything, it, it sort of mirrors the sort of stroked back pale down version of Nosferatu that Murnau makes in, yes. in the early 20s yes. it, it has I, more I, I, yes. more akin to german expressionism perhaps than the american universal films do such as the I would, that, so. that comes I would say so I would say so universal um, I would say so yeah uh,
1: but the notable addition obviously being technicolor Yes. specifically Jack oh. Asher's incredible, <laughs> incredible Technicolor. In regard, I think I feel whatever you feel about the narrative the characters mm. et al and that is something I think you and I will get into later, You, I feel it is almost undeniable that the film is gorgeous. It is. It it is does, one of the, yeah. the reds one of in the, the scenes... film
0: in particular are absolutely stunning. I mean, the blood is so fake. <laughs> that it, yes. it does sort of, it, it is sort of it laughable. Was called,
1: it was it is, but it was it was it's become part of the law. It's called Kensington Gore. It is Kensington
0: it's, Gore. I thought it it's, was yeah.
1: is the nickname for it, is Kensington mm. Gore. And um, I think it's it, it taps into a theatricality. Yes, which I really like in Hammer, is that there is it's it's very high octane, high energy, indeed almost high camp gothic. Yes. And I yeah, think you, well, well, one, one,
0: could, one could almost add Kensington Gore to the list of um, things oh. which Susan Sontag defines as camping. Oh, I would camp. agree with you entirely. <laughs> um, it, it, it does add that it's so... It almost... I mean, this is something that, particularly as we're talking about gender and sexuality in this mm. film, that, you know, the way that the vampiric bite is sexualized in this film is fascinating. Mm. Um, And that's yes. what I really sort of yes. took away from it, is how it's almost desirable to be yes. that yeah. pale virgin <laughs> yeah. opening her neck to the yeah. gorgeous christopher lee it's, and, and, it's and
1: interesting you mentioned surrendering that, yourself <laughs> well it's interesting you mentioned that because it allows me to bring up a, a, a little um anecdote that i've wanted to bring up which is that um the wife uh, mina of mm-hmm. jonathan homewood who was played by michael Gough. In a performance which doesn't involve him chewing the scenery, it's a rare, it's a rare <laughs> da- uh, toned-down performance for Michael Gott. Uh There is a fantastic and, and, sequence. And, and, with- a
0: notable ealing veteran, I should point out, and a notable um. ealing
1: veteran. Yes, very true, very true, and indeed a Lawrence Olivier veteran. He indeed, which is the uh, third. Yeah, uh, but we digress. We digress. Uh, he, uh, she is so spoilers, obviously. She is lured away at the end, of, near the end of the film, to Dracula's lair, where he, she is bitten by him, and she reappears uh, the next morning after much worry from Van helsing and uh, Arthur. And she stands there with a very sort of specific smile on her face, holding a uh, holding her fur coat quite close to her neck. Obviously, because she's been bitten. Now, what's very interesting is the actress who was playing her just couldn't get the the look right. So, um, is it Mel- lady... Melissa stribbling Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you very much, stribbling and apparently what fisher did was he took her aside and said now dear try to imagine that you've had the best of your life all night and she got it on the next take and i think that is a perfect encapsulation of what the sort of the vampire bite is the vampire bite is erotic it's sexual it's desired but then comes in the interesting question of is that misogynistic can we see that as being a condemning women mm. because they are fleshy to put it in a disgusting way they are sensual and right. they are weak to sensuality in relation to somebody like van helsing mm. who is almost entirely asexual i think right. it's fair to say yes very pure which very is true of,
0: which is true of cushing's characterization i think of most of the yes yes I
1: would, heroes. um largely i would say so he's i'm his, thinking
0: in particular of like
1: Sherlock Holmes, but yes, his Sherlock Holmes <laughs> is remarkably asexual. Yes, and in the later in the later Frankenstein films, he is very clearly not interested in sex. I'd uh, argue in Curse of Frankenstein he is more sexual, but it's a very strange sexuality. Yeah. It's almost as if it's, as, it's like a simple biological need yeah. he needs to fulfil. Well, it's, it's, no if 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 there's any else.
0: if there's any sexuality to to Van Helsing in this film, I'd argue that it was homoerotic that, you, that I can see there that is, I mean and, and that ex- that exists in sort of the power play between light mm. and dark that these films mm. revolve around that there oh, is complete. there's something a tra- drawing the hero to the villain um mm. and vice Absolutely. versa I mean and and the fact that the bite is given a sexual dimension to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's almost impossible to ignore that, that that's also operating at the same level. Um, and, and
1: it's, it's quite... And it's not- it's,
0: yeah, sorry. It's
1: not- so no, it's notable to, to remark here that in the second of the Hammer, Dracula's, uh, where interestingly Dracula himself doesn't appear... Got this a, is Brides of Dracula? Oh, this is Brides of Dracula, yes, which is a couple of years later, has a character called Count Meister, in who is basically a young man who was turned into a vampire by Dracula and he bites uh, Drac- uh, Helsing who almost turns into a vampire but Helsing uh, basically uh, burns himself with a red hot iron as a way to basically get rid of the vampire bite. And I think there's, uh, so I think it's very interesting that there is a homoerotic, There's, there's a very clear. You can see a homoerotic yeah. subtext here. As uh,
0: was, uh, do you mean as in it being a reference to the murder of Edward II?
1: Well, there's that obviously, but there's also a very homoerotic subtext in terms of uh, Van Helsing trying to deny.
0: Right. Uh, oh, I the see. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, that's. I think also the Edward the Second thing is something I hadn't considered. It's like. Oh yeah, there is also that as well. that's, uh,
0: uh, damn, I mean, that's, that's a good that, history. The, the the first red hot poker I think of is that. Is that uh, yeah, I think um, it's
1: interesting. That's how we uh, the different thoughts, uh, truly really the duality, of, the duality of individuals. Well, indeed. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, but yes, I, I think it's very. I think there is. There's. I think if there's also homoeroticism not only between Dracula and Van Helsing in terms of it, it's Van Helsing's White Whale, who he must destroy and he is obsessed with. to the extent where it takes away all erotic charge from other men or women. I think it's also important to talk about uh, after and in relation to um, Van Helsing, which Mm. is that they share a very interesting master and pupil relationship, Mm. uh, which starts with Arthur, which, and I think it should be out here, that that, that Arthur is characterised, I think it's fair to say, as a little bit weak and a little bit sort of, wavering in comparison to the most athletic, strong-willed, iron-handed Cushing, Mm -hmm. uh, who does some fabulous sort of stunts. There's the brilliant sequence where Chasing Dracula, he leaps over a banister in sort of real athleticism. And I think it's very interesting how sort of Homewood and uh, Van Helsing form this very, very tight bond, which obviously comes around uh, saving Mina. But I think, that's, I think that should also be brought up as well is that how he, he gathers this sort of male acolyte. Me talking about sort of concepts of homoeroticism right. is of course. always going to be problematic in some way, shape or form because it's not something I directly experience. Right. Which is, but but I think it's important to bring up the fact that there is potential for that to be read into certainly the Arthur and uh, Van Helsing relationship would be... Uh, yeah, I think so. On that front.
0: Yeah, and, and that... Again, plays into sort of the typecasting, which is so important in Britain at mm. this point. I mean, it still mm-hmm. is really today. Um, although of oh, course we, we, we have a much larger pool of stars now, whereas in the fifties it was much more limited. It was sort of, there was sort of a cast of characters that you could pull from um, between mm. mm-hmm. um, between the studios. Um, and Go- as as I mentioned before, Goff sort of comes out of the healing pool and is then picked Indeed. up in. Um, in Hammer, and and later on, in the theatrical circle of Derek Jarman, and he's in a lot of those films, and yes. he's al- he always yes, he play, he always plays throughout his career, um, including Alfred in the <laughs> Batman movies. He he's always the sort of Slightly gentle, older figure Even even when he was young, he sort of looked <laughs> Looked old um,
1: That's that's one of his geniuses Is that he is able to play old when young And yeah. that allows him to play he, he He's a very interesting actor Because he has two modes In my mind mm-hmm. One is the very thoughtful uh, actor And things like, uh, when he plays Alfred Obviously, or I'm thinking of the Go Between, the, right. the Losey yep. film Where Losey. he plays yeah. uh, Judy, Where he plays Judy Christie's father Mm. But he also has a tendency to play absolute rotters, right. uh, but not in like the, 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 Thomas, the Terry Thomas set. I'm talking like loathsome psychopaths with bizarre, kind of choose the dialogue style acting. I'm right. thinking yeah. the one that strikes out is Horrors of the Black Museum. Which is I write about in my thesis because it's just brilliant. Uh, it involves him being a, um, and it's all very obvious, by the way. So I'm not revealing any spoilers. Because yeah, don't worry about that. You can see it from a mile away. This is a, a podcast about
0: films. People should see films. They've been out for yes, you god should. knows how many yes. years. This this I, I, this one is spoilers. For... Spoilers don't exist.
1: <laughs> okay, fair play. What happens is is he plays a a a disabled crime writer. Who gets the ideas for his books by hypnotizing his young manservant to commit murder? Nice. In in various interesting ways, including uh, and they're all women, by the way. Uh, uh, There's there's a wonderful one, (laughs) of course, because because he has a thing against women. Right. Uh, And there's there's (laughs) there's explicitly there's explicitly made. Uh, a suggestion that he is impotent, which is also one of the reasons right. why he may kill. Uh, although there's again a very strong homoerotic subtext as well. I mean
0: that that almost falls into the the sort of trope of trans serial killers in like yes. dress to kill sort of I, sense, or Buffalo I, in, Bill and silence of the Land. In
1: some respects, I can certainly see that it's certainly it's certainly him living vicariously through uh, uh, this his ma- his manservant. Yeah, to, well, it's
0: like uh, it's like a, if I can't be a woman or I can't have women, then I'm gonna murder yes. them all. Which is yes, just well, the mo- which is an incredibly dangerous and it irresponsible is. trope.
1: It's, it's it is a nauseating trope, it is atrocious. It's and it's very interesting as well how um he effectively monopolizes control over this young man's life to the extent where he conspires to murder this young man's girlfriend, basically, and have and have the the have the assistant do it. So it's a very, it's, Goth um, plays a lot of these sort of very strange psychosexual roles, uh, which is why I sort of stress that it's such a, uh, Dracula is such a strange turn for him because he is playing this sort of repressed yeah. masculine figure. I think all the men in some respect bar Dracula
0: hmm.
1: are arguably repressed in some way, shape or form. I think uh, Harker who appears at the beginning of the film is repressed in some respects because he very clearly tries to resist the advances of,
0: yeah, which is bizarre. I, I mean I think th- th- I think it was p- perhaps the worst performance in this film because he just doesn't oh, seem shit. phased by anything. So like there's the scene where mm. she comes at him and then Dracula appears and they sort of fight and he just stands there doing absolutely nothing. It's like, oh, this is normal. I yeah. totally expected to see this sort of thing. And then he's like, Oh no, I have a bite <laughs> on my neck and falls to the ground. It's just <laughs>
1: Dead. There are a couple of, there are a couple of in this film. Uh, When I rewatched it, it was the first time I think I'd seen it in four or five years. There were a couple of scenes where a certain English deadpan does overtake (laughs) cast members and it does spoil it. The other one for me is the sequence where Near the end, where it leads into the final fight with the iconic scene with the with the cross, where the maid says, "Oh yeah, no, I'm not." Uh, Milady said I'm not supposed to go into the cellar, and yes. we see just Dracula's coffin sitting there. What's even what makes me chuckle is the bit where Lee. It's sort of set in a sort of a wide shot. So, uh, Cushing is looking into the coffin, sort of astounded. Lee opens the back door uh, and is there. Just goes, <laughs> and then closes the door after him. And it's just sort of a, it's, it's very sort of nananana. Nah. Yes. It's a very weird moment, and it doesn't make any sense in relation to the rest of the film, which no. has been so beautifully crafted and tense. It just sort of—it's such a superfluous and strange way to mm. to advance your plot. Um, I must say, yeah. I don't mind Jonathan in the opening scenes. I think it ties into this, I think it ties into that nature of oppression, though, which mm-hmm. is I think that these are, especially Van Helsing and uh, Harker, who are men who are explicitly interested in killing Dracula, who are people who sublimate their basically their entire desires and will to a single goal to the point where I think it overwhelms them. And I think you can arguably read his sort of stock still approach into oh my god the thing I've been looking for for ages is in front of me oh what do I do now I'm terrified (laughs) he basically he gets stage fright.
0: yes no you're right I
1: think a very I think it's a very lame reading of it but I think Mm. I I certainly think there's a sense of sort of awe and overwhelm which comes from Dracula Mm. as a figure he inspires terror and I think His first appearance, not as regular Dracula, wherein I mean he is speaking, and Christopher Lee only has like ten lines in the entire film. A lot of people don't recognize this that Christopher Lee, when he plays Dracula, doesn't say much in the early films. He he says even less in uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, where he has no lines and spends the entire film hissing. But I digress. Uh, He hisses very well. Oh, he's brilliant at hissing. He's very scary. I just wanted because I was I was just
0: thinking of um yeah some of the. Because we were obviously, t- we, I was talking about earlier British mm. films that mm. were yes. the influences. I, I I think it's I think it I I it was perhaps bad of me to omit um, the sort of Gainsborough Pictures bodice rippers from the the forties that were like the well, the, 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 the real sort yes. of popular films mm. in the late forties. Mm. Um, things I mean, like the wicked lady, man in grey, yeah. um, yeah. Margaret Margaret Lockwood films. Which this yeah. w- the sort of um high camp historic historical mm. in the loosest mm. sense dramas. Mm. Um and, and this this has that takes that aesthetic oh yes and then yeah. adds horror to it. So it's the same mm. they're the same mm. sorts of stories, but it's um, it's just got these characters who, you know, yes. people will uh, I, know from literature or from yes, film.
1: So. Yeah, I think you're very yeah. right to bring up Gainsborough as well, because also um, I'm pretty sure that Lee appears as a minor actor in a few yes. um, Gainsboroughs. I'm not sure about Cushing, but certainly that that sensibility is always there. Mm. And I think you're very right to bring up Gainsborough. Yeah,
0: and uh, I, because I think that there is an interesting... Similarity between sort of the bodice ripping concept mm. and the way that Dracula preys on his victims, yes. and the way yes. and the, the sort of yes. sinking of the teeth, um, which, which is such, don't... which is such a literal, oh yeah, metaphor. But it is this is the film that sort of gives us though that iconography Ooh, yeah. of what vampires and what Dracula Ooh, looks yes. like. It's not coming oh, from absolutely. what we assume to be the films that give us that imagery and Christopher Lee sort of has said in interviews since making the film he didn't want to do what Lugosi did he didn't want to do the mm. sort of white tie and tails Dracula it's it's yeah, just a black think, cape but... and yes, yes um and the slick back hair and you know oh, he goodness. he it it's it's he really plays to an aspect of stoker's dracula which i don't think had been seen in film partly because no, of censorship no. um in america no. under the Hayes code but in in no. in britain it was perhaps slightly more permissible although of course this film is has a an x rating slapped on it by the bbfc oh, yeah. and is and well, is that's, very, that's and, and, very and, is, and is very itself. heavily censored um with much of the film <laughs> no. sort of lost and then it's discovered from these yes. European and Japanese yes. prints later on. I mean, we, we still don't have a complete copy of the film, do we? Is that, is that correct? So
1: that's, so that's very interesting and I think it's important to bring up you, know, you brought up actually something I did want to talk about as well because I, I'm a massive nerd for production history and I've read a number of books about the production history of Hammer uh, Hammer got into a lot of problems, problems with censorship especially the BBFC who at the time was run by John Trevelyan, who was uh, the censor for something like 20-odd years. I think it was an an obscene amount of time. Trevelyan and Hammer did not get on, uh, especially because Jimmy Sangster, who was the writer and largely wrote a number of Hammer's iconic pieces, had a tendency to push violence and sexuality to very, very new and scary places for censors. Uh, the script for Dracula went in for hundreds of rewrites. There were back-and-forth memos. You can read all of them. They're all in the Hammer archives of just how much um, horseplay and sort of rodeo wrangling went on between the producers and the um, and censor board, to the point where you would get things like, well, we'll allow this shot, but we won't allow this shot, and we'll allow this shot, but we won't allow this shot. So, yes, there are certain... I think in terms of this the 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 Hammer Dracula I'm not entirely sure whether we do have a full copy I am certain however that there were nude excerpts put in for a later Hammer film called the uh, the man who could cheat death uh, where there, there were relaxations on on top That's of the right. yeah. and Hazel Court appears in a in a in a very brief nude scene uh, which she has very funny stories about where all the other scenes in the film was completely fine. But for some reason, everybody had to be on set that day for that film. I don't know why. I don't know why. Mm. Um, but, you, you, but I think it's very important to recognise that there was very specifically from not only, I think, the, the, the censors, but also the critics, there was a very distinct stranglehold mm. on representations of sex and violence especially when they were put together in the right. same place. Yes. American films, obviously, were, were choke in their own specific ways. Uh, I'm thinking more mainstream films rather than sort of the, the flea pit B-movie. The British suffered, I think that the, the British suffered also from a, what a sense of an excess of what I think we would call an excess of good taste. And so people like C.A. Lejeune were outraged by Dracula and A Curse of Frankenstein. They loathed it. And I think it's also, and I don't quite remember what the response to things like the Wicked Lady was, but I was imagine it was very similar, in as much as that pe- people uh, who who were big no- big names in the the critical world and the sensor world didn't like it because it violated and transgressions but as about uh, the wicked lady was the most popular film in the 40s i'm pretty sure uh, it's the highest um, box I, office.
0: I, I, actually I've, I, oh in terms of box office maybe uh man in gray was also
1: incredibly, man in gray was
0: huge was also incredibly popular um huge. i mean in 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 sort of popular surveys people preferred yeah. man in gray as the best film of 1943 okay. over over life and death of colonel blimp which you know I mean if which, you did that, you and I if, you and
1: I would not agree with
0: if if you if you would if you would if one was to poll that now I mean n- yeah, most you, people wouldn't have heard right. of Manning Grey but most no. you know colonel no. blimp as 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 is quite right no, is um, and is, and I, and is think, very much celebrated
1: and I think as well what comes up as uh, when we talk about uh, dracula and the hammer films is they are also incredibly popular the box office they make something like 20 times their original budget they are hugely popular it can't be underestimated how popular these films were and this is coming out as well and this is also coming out in a period where things like uh british uh the new british new wave and Mm -hmm. sort of free cinema comes out you've got people like Lindsay anderson and carol rice making films that are you know very critically successful make decent box office but they are nowhere compared to the, the the huge commercial success Oh, but let's be honest. It's it's boobs and blood. Yeah, no,
0: end. it is. It's, it, it absolutely is. It, it um, is, it and, is. I, I, and I, 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 th- I think you 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 know, what, what is so striking in this film is sort of the synonymity of blood and semen in the film's aesthetic. Mm. Um, and and you mm. know, I've already talked about. Yeah. Um, I've already talked about the, the biting as a as a sort of
1: yes penetrative yes. You metaphor. The other
0: the stuff. other really central one in this film are the stakes that are sort of driven into the hearts of yes. the vampires. Yes, where you know the blood is really sort of gushing out and it's being hammered <laughs> oh, it's in. Ridiculous. It's a very it's, li- so it's a very literal mm. parallel between penetration and violence and the violence of penetration it's 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 to some extent it's it's a sexual assault on those people because they're you know they're they're, they're asleep and 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 i found that quite horrifying and not necessarily in a good way but no i know more to the point is um the fact that that role is reversed at times that there is also Mm. this very real fear in the film which um, Carol J. Clover talked a lot about into the '90s as a criticism yes. of more Hollywood horror films, but of mm. the sort, of, the fear of the penetrative woman, the woman with phallus type figure in horror. Yes, um, mm. because when 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 she's got the teeth and she's coming yes. after the men, and suddenly yes, the man is sort of fear fearing being. Sodomized or pegged or whatever you want, however you want to describe it, it 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 it, it, yes. it emasculates them. Um, yes. It's yes, almost absolutely. as if 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 they were being pursued by Dracula. When it's a woman being pursued by Dracula, there's almost a desire to give in. Whereas when it's a man mm. being pursued in mm. this film, it's like their whole identity and their whole world is collapsing. It's it's just yes. it's incontemplatable. and that that comes from the source text. That's not you know yes, that's not a new idea but, but um, i
1: think it's i think it's expanded upon uh with the presence of uh of the female vampires in particular and also the number of shots of teeth right vampiric teeth and i think it's very noticeable that the very, the first the first vampire we see the vampire uh, woman who was played by i think her name is valerie gaunt who was an excellent it actress, is yeah. only appeared in two films which is this and curse of frankenstein Mm. one of the one of her close-ups sees her teeth sort of very sharply going into harker's neck and i think there is you're absolutely right there is something simultaneously seductive but also deeply disquieting about it and i think uh i think it's barbara creed who talks about things like sort of Yes, uh, of the, the, monstrous, uh, of the feminine. monstrous feminine and sort of the abject womb and sort of the womb and sort of the the coffin and sort of the the, the crypt being sort, yeah. of a, sort of a but it's the it's the fear womb. of
0: the vagina dentata in that case the, well, the, the, yes absolutely. The, the, the absolutely the fear of, of by giving into that the the, mm-hmm. the the man isn't just being emasculated; he's being castrated. I mean, it, well,
1: yeah, in terms yeah, of
0: it, in terms of horror, I mean, the teeth is well, perhaps the, the the most yes. obvious and most explicit well, example absolutely. of that. But that exactly. when when you sort of you know, if the if the female sort of slightly open lips is a yonic yes. image, yes. then if you are adding these incredibly sharp canines to that, it yes, is well, it is absolutely. reminiscent of of sort of the historic horror imagery of, of Vagina Dentata. I think
1: might be the source of his fear is that he causes a real upending and questioning of not only gender identity, but sexual identity. Because he, by being not only a man who naturally can penetrate, but also has the power to penetrate through and uh, through his teeth in the way that these women are... Right. He become he has the vagina dentata himself, and it's notable of obviously his first shot is in bleeding from, uh, when we see him as a vampire, is him bleeding from the mouth, his his mouth sort of uh, agape. What does that suggest in terms of sexuality? What does that in terms suggest in terms of sexual categorization? Mm. And I think to people like Harker and especially Van Helsing, who is this very uh, straight uh, figure, who's very sort of. Uh, asexual. He he provides a real threat to that sense of order and mm-hmm. rationality, which he so desperately craves and desperately needs. I mean, we see him very uh, in a wonderful sequence, uh, talking, uh, talking, listening to us with a, a, a gramophone record he made of himself, uh, re- reciting facts about vampires. This is a man who deals exclusively in the rational and uh, and the quantifiable. So to have that questioned by a figure who may physically resemble him, in a Freudian sense, causes intense anxiety. So Mm. it it, it makes a lot of sense why he may be in that way.
0: Regardless of one's modern scepticism of psychoanalysis, which is, of course, entirely encouraged, you have to remember that filmmakers in the 50s well, oh, loved it. They lapped it up. They were obsessed with it. Oh, <laughs> they, you absolutely. know, everyone. Lacan L- L- and Freud were so influential on film. So you can't ignore they it because bank. Oh, they you know bank. it's not just pure speculation oh, here. Life. It's it's something very oh. specific to the period, um, and particularly think, in British cinema. You know, absolutely. Michael Powell think, absolutely loved
1: oh,
0: Freudian theory. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: That's very uh, very obvious concern. Well, exactly.
0: Um, But yeah, But what is interesting is that what comes out of that by applying it to the sort of Freudian fear of of women in this film is that that is what's used instantly to subvert our expectations. mm. Because when we think of Dracula, when we see the name Dracula at the beginning when it's on the coffin, and we see the titles and it says Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, you know, it's all men. We're so expecting the traditional Dracula the man to appear and be frightening and the first vampire we see is a woman and it's like oh my gosh who saw that coming because she comes up to him as this sort of virginal character she needs his help you know the damsel in distress is the damsel in distress is the villain and that's what's so different about this film and 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 it's it's what but it's difficult now for us to um to perhaps fully appreciate that because we've been exposed to so many female vampires since. Um I'm thinking in particular of the incredibly sexualized, almost pornographic films in in the um in the seventies of Jean Roland. Um and then well, into... got in on
1: the act as well. Yeah, Hammer got into the act as well by... Brides um, of Dracula. Well, not only Brides of Dracula, but there's, very importantly, there's a trilogy of films from the early 70s, uh, which is colloquially called the Karnstein Trilogy, mm-hmm. which is a, uh, which are three films based loosely on Sheridan Fanu's uh, Carmilla. Something that we didn't mention, which I do want to point out, is that I think, and I think this is a very interesting thing as well, in terms of we're talking about revulsion, I think the most interesting version of that in the Dracula we've been watching is Lucy when she becomes a vampire herself and she actively tries to but kill and drink the blood of uh, her maid's little daughter. And there's the sequence where she is in the, the, the churchyard and comes, come brother, why don't you kiss me? And then obviously she shrieks in fear when the, thank you, that was a great impression. Uh, uh, she shrieks in fear when the, the cross <laughs> is presented and her, her face contorts into this horrible grimace. And again, you've got that sort of notion of, Repulsion and fascination, all in the same place, um, and it's and he he presses obviously he presses the uh, the, the the cross into the, uh, her forehead and there's the the, the, the livid wound. Again, that's another very clear symbol of sort of tainted flesh as by vampirism. So there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of metaphors for right. aberration, corruption mm. here, but they're not as you they're not utilised in the same. Um, undermining fashion that something like uh, Blood for Dracula is right. that would be my assertion.
0: For me personally in terms of its um, representation of the female characters it's too difficult almost to reclaim it in the way that perhaps oh, yes. you can with, with certain other films and mm. think, you know even modern films like um, Jennifer's Body or, or Teeth, mm. you know, films which have on first release were sort of dismissed as sort of trashy sexualizations of women, whereas this is trashy and very much <laughs> sexualizing women. But yes. that being said, I do think it's a very important and essential film from an, histo- from an historical perspective. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, I'm not going to recommend this to people to watch if they, you know, yes. want to sort of, I mean, it is entertaining to some extent, but it is extraordinarily I, dated, I think. I think
1: yeah, I, I think the thing for me is I like this a lot. I think this is one of my favourite fishes, but I I qualify with that with the fact that I love this era of cinema I love the the artifice I love the creakiness I love I love Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee as figures Mm. and I like and I find there is something very sensorially appealing about this era of of horror cinema indeed of British cinema that makes me want to go back again and again for it if you are somebody who is not as sort of enamoured with Technicolor, slightly theatrical acting, uh, sort of bombastic scores. And the score is the score, I think, is incredible. The, the James Bernard score is just amazing. If you're not into that, you will find this unbelievably dated and unbelievably dreary and almost laughable. Because you, when you say it's trash, I, I can see why you would absolutely say this is trash. To me, this is art. And right. I genuinely consider this to be a, <laughs> a piece of art. and But I'm aware that that's under the subjective nature of art itself. Well,
0: exactly. The
1: thing behind it, which was the, the production context, yep. the, the aesthetics, the continuous psycho sort of production line of the same yep. actors, directors, screenwriters, producers that's what made hammer hammer yeah and that's and
0: that's why i think perhaps my favorite of the carry-on films is almost a sort of carry-on hammer crossover which is carry-on screaming which is which 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 absolutely nails the hammer aesthetic and comedy and just elevates that (laughs) with an additional layer and i think maybe i enjoy that because it's more knowing and it's more mocking Whereas obviously these Hammer films are sort of, to some extent, they're taking themselves seriously.
1: Oh, they um, I, I find them quite. I find them quite serious. I yeah. think I, I have not seen Carry On Screaming to my oh, shame. I've never, seen <laughs> I've never seen. I've never seen a Carry On. I've seen oh, like crikey. half of. A, I've ha, I've seen like half of Up the Khyber, and which I did find Oof. very funny. I will say. Okay.
0: That.
1: <laughs> I did. I, I did laugh, but I do know the. Do you mind if I smoke? Joke, oh. Where
0: it's just. The fami- F- fielding, absolutely, fielding. yeah, it, it well, is. I mean, it is my favourite is... moment in the Gary On films.
1: Oh, it's, fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, she is playing a proper. She is playing. She could have fitted very nicely into her, to, to a Hammer Dracula. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I mean, the characterisation that she's sort of gone for in that film is vampira. Um, I think this yes. the sort of black hair. Morticia Adams type yes, right. hourglass figured um yes, vampire. Yes, I mean yes. I mean no no one had a more absurd hourglass than than Vampira did. Um
1: this is very true (laughs) how that woman how that woman how she breathed
0: (laughs) how accessible are these ones many of them can be found on amazon prime or
1: oh yeah Um, just sort of freely
0: available on the internet yeah
1: they they are if you look if you know where to look for them they are fairly easy to, to to watch you can get a lot of them on itunes you can get them on amazon prime and you can rent them there there are DVDs and Blu-rays of them available. But mm-hmm. they're, they're often they shown on hard. the
0: television as well. Um, yes, well, things like uh, a horror the Horror Channel or um, yes, uh, the, the, BBC.
1: the BBC. The BBC in particular do love to put Curse of Frankenstein and Dracula on. ITunes. I
0: remember them being on a lot when I was a child on BBC. Mm. They'd sort of, I, I, mm. I, because I was this sort of child and indeed sort of. Young woman who reads the Radio Times. Um, so I'd often notice that they were showing the <laughs> yes, abo- abominable snowman or Curse of Frankenstein yeah, sort of yeah. in 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 the small hours of the morning, um, yes. and I'd have to set them up to record. Um,
1: yes. Not for well, that it was that... possible
0: when one had to record them on on VHS, but there you go.
1: And literature on them is also very yeah. easy to find. They've been in, mm. they've been written about. Hasn't much been
0: because ha- this is what I was I was going to ask you, obviously, in you know, sort of in considering the relevance of of Hammer films to my own research and my own yes um, yes very interesting it, uh, is there much writing in the way of gender and sexuality in these films or is it more a focus on production history and national identity which tends to so, sort of dominate this period of british film history so
1: i should say that my research often focuses on those areas anyway because the field of disability studies is a barren wasteland i'll be brutally honest and uh in relation to film and uh, the the, the field of horror and autism in particular, doesn't exist, Uh, I'm making it up quite literally as I go along, which is a terrible He's doing a very
0: good job, everyone. Read his stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So in terms of gender and sexuality, I have not found that much. You can see, I think there are pieces in relation to attitudes towards sexuality in relation to Dracula, Frankenstein et al. But there's not much in the way of deep readings of it. One I would suggest uh, as a starter is David Peary's A New Heritage of Horror, the English Gothic. That is a very, very good one. Um, and I would also recommend uh, what I think to be the seminal text, which is Jonathan Rigby's English Gothic. Uh, he's also produced a very, very good American Gothic and a European Gothic. And uh, both the Peary and the Rigby uh, function effectively as a, uh, good starting points uh giving lots of basic details about plot but not uh spoilers important context uh key players uh, so on and so forth the 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 uh, period in particular has very good analysis of just sort of the general tone uh, of films of the era and there's a, a lot of obviously there's a lot that have devoted to frankenstein and uh, dracula so those would be the places i would start but there's very little in terms of to my memory of talking about gender and sexuality, which I um, I think is a real shame, especially considering um well
0: it's it's probably because it's I don't I don't want to say that men aren't interested in gender and sexuality because you know, often they are. No, 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 but it's, it's because the,
1: white
0: the, guy. The, the 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 literature the literature of and cinema is sort of dominated by oh, sort of oh it's, the, it's, it's no incredibly... not no, not 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 to um to, to put any no, no, shade right. on on Kim Newman but uh, you know, it's the Kim Newman sort no. of, of of film criticism. It is. Um, oh, it, it is. It because is. It there is stuff. That, there is stuff written good. on American horror cinema. This is what I'm quite and and yes. and perhaps more recent yes, films absolutely. as well. Uh, you know, as we've mentioned, Carol Clover, Barbara Creed, both essential um, texts. Yes. But they're not. Even, they're not. They're not. They're, they're not talking about. Freedom. They're not talking about British horror. No. They're talking about. No, no, no. They're talking know, about slashers. Exactly.
1: That's almost explicitly.
0: Almost. Yeah. Almost, almost d- d- sort it. of John Carpenter films and oh, we- yes, w- Wes Craven type stuff.
1: Linked back to something which you were saying about how hover out how, how this sort of hover is dated and feels dated, which is that a lot of the the the, the premiere writing on it was done a long time ago. Right textually speak, uh, sort of uh, academically speaking 20 30 years ago the writing is excellent I can't fault people like Newman or Rigby or Piri because they provide a very very good foothold into the to the works but what's what is what is unsettling is how uh, when I talked and I think it's something to do with the fact that yes the, the roles in Dracula for women are rubbish they're very two-dimensional there's uh, the women I talked to about sort of British horror, often they're talking about more recent British horror. So we're talking about things like St. Maud, for example. Right. Oh, that uh, which is uh, like, so we're yeah,
0: talking but, 2020.
1: Yeah, we're talking like that or revenge or.
0: Um, Makeup, clarity. Sort of, yes,
1: exactly. One woman who writes about modern British horror, who I know is doing her PhD in it, and I would recommend highly if you ever get to read about her, is a woman called Amy Harris, yeah. who uh, is an excellent writer on the subject, has given some very interesting presentations and in is writing uh, and writes a lot about things like revenge. Um, but the older films, don't get that much attention from what i've seen there are those those are all
0: horror films directed by women Mm, so that 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 that, that tends i think this is often the case is that you know when we talk about when we write about female representation in films the immediate thing to go to is the films made by women which of course makes sense to do that but 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 as someone who you know my most of my research has been around Ealing and, and Palin Pressburger
1: and She's very good at it too
0: Aw, thank you um, <laughs> <laughs> um, But again it's that same thing of like what, what, what why yes. why aren't there yes. more people talking about this yes. <laughs> um, um, I, I mean I, th- there is there is more stuff, you know, brilliant writers like Annette Kuhn and Men- Melanie mm-hmm. Williams and uh, yes. there, there's so many that I can't right. name them all <laughs> so, you know, so, writing yeah
1: I, I just, yeah, I would shout out a number of them if, uh, as well um, I, think, I think a woman who writes sometimes on horror, but writes more generally on the subject, is a friend of mine, Lucy Bolton, who yes. writes a lot about contemporary British cinema, who I recommend extremely highly if you're interested in sort of concepts of female uh, perspective. Mm. I think in terms of British horror films directed by women, apart from that's this newer crop of things like Prevenge and uh, Saint Maud, the one that, that from the past that strikes out to me is a film called Three Cases of Murder. Yep. which is an anthology film. And the very first segment is directed by a woman called Wendy Toynes. Yes. Who, uh, who and it's called In the Picture. And it is a thoroughly unsettling little horror film about a, a, a cursed painting. And it is without doubt the best of the three segments. And it is a crying shame that she never got to do anything more substantial than that. That really is the only thing I can think of in terms of women directing British horror. For a long time, there were no female directors at Hammer. There were, I think, very few female Crew members, if I'm honest, apart from actresses, I think it was almost exclusively a masculine affair. The only name I think really can put my na- uh, person I can only really put uh, a name to was this was an important female figure in British horror, is it is Elizabeth Lutyens, yes. who was a superb composer who did uh, a number of scores for Hammer and Amicus and a, a couple of other uh, independent companies, and did and her scores are remarkable and. Atonal and terrifying. She does one, an amazing yeah. one for um, Fish as the Earth Dies Screaming, which is like a, it's almost like a dry run for uh, the Doctor Who serial The Invasion, where it's a sort of an hour long uh, science fiction horror film set, basically in a pub. Uh, and it's sublime. Mm-hmm. And the score is amazing. Uh, but yet there's not really that much in terms of and I think it's because there are misogynistic overtones to I think a lot of British horror from the 50s, 60s and especially the 70s. I'm thinking of Pete Walker in particular with films like House of Whipcord and House of, um, House of Mortal Sin. that I think it would be understandable if women were, apart from being actresses, felt uncomfortable working in that milieu. And wanted to actively go and make films that were more complicated. And yeah, more and and, and I project.
0: think, uh, speaking as you know, a, a woman nowadays watching those films is uncomfortable because oh, it oh makes God. you feel almost dirty or a party yes. to that, that yeah. the, the way that the female characters are treated. Because you know, when we look for yes, representation, absolutely. when we look to see ourselves represented mm. on screen, it's like yes. I, I, a, I mean yeah. I'm, go- I'm, I'm naturally going to be wanting oh, to run well, off absolutely. to the dance hall with Prunella Scales.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I, I and I don't blame you. Or, I don't blame instead going being, to the ballet
0: you know, with Moira Shearer than I am, you know, you know having I'm my being neck bitten into by Christopher Lee yeah. as as tempting as the offer might be yeah, shown to yes. look in this film it's not <laughs> one that but the no. point is is that one doesn't want to be shown that well ethan thank you so much for this fascinating and fruitful discussion
1: thank you very much thank you for having me i've had an absolutely wonderful time if you've got an idea for an
0: article or a podcast you can contact me via twitter my handle is at lil Crawford three hours in Lil, which is where i'll be posting about new writing and episodes Do also get in touch if you fancy appearing as a guest and have a film you'd love to discuss with me. The Listen to Lillian podcast is available via the blog and all the usual channels, including Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts, so don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening and toodle pip!